2: To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who, if combined, would make one hell of a woodworker:
2: Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk, number 243 for May 15th, 2015. It's a weekend edition of Wood Talk, so we've got one topic for you today, and that is uh, discussing the best place for a woodworking business. And this is sort of like a, uh, if we could live anywhere in the country, where would we want to live to have a thriving woodworking business? Um, And of course, let's preempt this by saying, not one of us has a woodworking business, right? Right. We may make money from what we do, but let's clarify, we are not selling our woodwork as a primary source of
1: income right I I only have business cards that say that because I always try to get the free lunch (laughs) there you go Uh, so we are completely unqualified to discuss this in any meaningful
2: way so with with that said it's um, a typical show yeah (laughs) typical show (laughs) typical wood talk today nothing new Bobby was the one who asked the question. He says, "Um, if you could locate your woodworking business or hobby anywhere in the U.S., where would it be? For me, there are several factors. Availability of lumber, reasonable cost to purchase a shop space, a place to sell the furniture, and personal safety. I'm sure there are many other factors. And there are. There's, geez, there's got to be tons of factors um, that, that go into something like this and the reality is very few of us even have the luxury of making a decision like this, you just kind of deal with what you've got and make the best of it. Right. Exactly. Uh, Especially for a woodworking business. I'm not sure that it would be the most, you know, responsible thing to do to be like, you know, I'm just going to move everything out to here because I know I'm going to be successful uh, if I go there. Like it's already a a fairly risky endeavor to begin with. So you should probably be pretty stable um, with where you set your roots down and then start the business up there. But Anyway, all right, so let's go through some of these things because a lot of this just really generally relates to stable woodworking and the hobbyist things you might be concerned about in terms of climate, where it might be the best place. And, uh, you know, let's just jump into some of his questions here. So first of okay. all, you're, you're going to have to get a shop space. So right. I guess if you're looking around, one thing you may consider is, number one, are you going to work on your home property if, if it's possible, like are there places that would allow you, would the zoning allow a company, a business, to work in a residential area? You know, And that's going to be like if you can, holy crap, that's going to be good because then your overhead should be fairly low versus the alternative like now I've got to find a commercial uh, property that will actually let me uh, do the kind of woodworking stuff I need to do. So I think that's a huge factor and I think you will immediately uh, reduce your choices uh, based on your requirements. If you absolutely need to have your business with your home, that's going to be very restrictive.
1: Right. right. I would think, you yeah. know. I mean, I always think about, like, uh, there are a few people that have been featured in, uh, you know, like on the back of Fine Woodworking Magazine, they always have, like, uh, some sort of master or somebody that has just, like, a really neat story. Mm-hmm. And I think there's been, there are a few that you occasionally see that it's like, oh, yeah, my shop is connected to my house or it's in my backyard, but they're so few and far between. And, I think if it came down to a location for myself, and I I'm, I would prefer to kind of go to more of an, an industrial kind of an area for a whole bunch of reasons, like logistically, just being able to get things in and out of the shop. Whenever I've had lumber delivered from like Bell Forest or tools from wherever I purchased it from, one of my least favorite questions to be asked is, "Uh, so – How do you plan on getting this off the truck?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There's no loading dock.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Uh, I was hoping that your burly driver would do it. She yeah. was nice the last time she was here. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice
2: lady. And I think that's, um, that's a huge factor because there's, there are benefits to having that commercial property, but then you've got that immediate overhead. I, I know a couple guys locally um, that were friends of mine that I would collaborate with uh, when I was wor- trying to do my woodworking um, on a professional level, and they were all in commercial space. And I just couldn't imagine, with the small amount of revenue I was generating to begin with, I couldn't imagine starting the month 1500 in the hole. Right. You know, yeah. because that's what the, it costs to have the lease on that place. Um, that was a very difficult way for me to to be successful at what I do. So I always kind of flew under the radar just working out of my home, you know, and, I, and that's that's the thing. I wonder how many people are doing that because yeah, I, I,
0: I was just going to say, and I wonder <laughs> how many people have actually checked into this because I know a lot of people who have their woodworking business in their garage. Yep. And, you know, <laughs> your neighbors, all it comes down to is do they tolerate the noise that you make? Um, yeah, right. And, and if no one cares, then no one seems to report it. And is it zoned properly? And are there homeowners association type issues? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like maybe this is on the show or maybe an email I got, but somebody was talking about how their homeowners association doesn't allow you to leave your garage door open. Right. I guess they want it to look all pretty and stuff. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, so I, I can't. I can't open the garage door and work with natural light because it's against the HOA restrictions, you know. So there's all those little things that come into play that would make people say, I want it in a commercial space. But I think it comes down to how you like to work, too. I mean, I see, I'm here we are speaking from a totally uninformed perspective, but I like
1: to They're the best. pop
0: in. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I like to pop into the shop and take care of, you know, little things late at night, you know, when I've got time throughout the day. Um, it's rare that I'm able to set aside, you know, a full, we'll call it, normal working day, where I can just be in the shop the whole time. And so, not having to get in the car and drive somewhere uh, makes that possible. Yeah. So it's, you know, it would change. It would change how I would work certainly. But there's also, you know, I imagine if you've got a standalone commercial space, yes, there's overhead, but there's also some pretty, uh, pretty big tax. Uh, savings on that as well.
2: Yeah, and I would have to imagine there's insurance implications too. If you're trying to run your business from your home property, let's say something happens in the shop, fire starts, burns down the house. You know, right. I don't know where you cross the line insurance wise where you might not be covered the way you think you are because of the business you're conducting in yeah, your home.
0: It's going to depend upon the type of business that you are, whether you're incorporated or. Yeah, you do have to be careful for, for sure. If um, it were me, I would want to do everything possible to have it on my property. Um, yeah probably not part of the house, but at least on the same
2: property. Sure. Now, how about personal safety? And this kind of ties into the same conversation. Um, for instance, around here, the the people who I know that have commercial spaces, a lot of times the only place to get an affordable space is closer to the downtown Phoenix area. And there was a guy, a finishing shop, that I used to um, to work for, and that place was broken into, and I only worked there for like six months, eight months. That place was broken into about three times. Ouch! And you know, and they've got all the safeguards you could possibly imagine. There's an alarm system. There's you know stuff on the windows, but there's always a way. There's always a way for someone to get in. And Mm -hmm. it was just you just never know what you're going to walk into because that was the only place the dude could get this type of uh, property where he could have a real spray booth and all the things he needed to do the work that he did. Uh, You can't necessarily do that in a residential. So I'd imagine if you if you do go the commercial route personal safety uh, and I'm, I'm not sure 100 if that's what uh, bobby means by personal safety but it comes to mind for me is security and whether right. or not your space is going to be secure
1: well you know i think that's a real juggle anyways i mean you're kind of Regardless of where your shop is located, be in the house, be be in a commercial area or something. Uh, if somebody is aware that you have something of value, there is always that possibility. You know, so you really kind of wrestle with that one way or the other. Uh, when I think of a personal safety, I, I I do think of making sure that. I'm okay. <laughs> Nobody's going to come in <laughs> at gunpoint and maybe, you know, come after me that way. But I also would definitely, and this kind of alludes back to the other thing we were just talking about with insurance and stuff like that is uh, fire safety and everything else. Because if you have it in your home there, you probably do have finishing products around. You're going to have a heck of a lot more sawdust around, especially if you, depending on what projects you're doing or the majority of your projects, since you'll be making projects way more than I do right now. So, yeah. you know, there are a whole bunch of other variables that are in there. I, 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 this one for me is a real toss up because I think, regardless of where you are it's i don 't know it, it's you're, you're going to face an issue one way or the other, well, like so Shannon
2: I, said, going out at night if you are that yeah. type to work late at night and maybe it 's only a ten minute drive or something, you know, so you go ahead and head out to the shop well. Working till midnight by yourself in a industrial complex, you know, do you feel safe doing that? Right. I don't know. I guess it depends on the complex, but definitely yeah. something to think about. So overall, yeah. I would say when you're picking a region, you certainly need to look into what type of commercial um, resources are available to you, if and and whether or not you could even pull it off in a residential zone. And I think that's mm-hmm. going to knock a whole bunch of places off your list.
1: Right. Absolutely.
2: All right. So here's a big one: climate. So uh-huh. is there an ideal place to do woodworking and I think heat and humidity primarily humidity are going to be a concern uh, also right. extreme temperatures are going to cause you to have certain facility uh, upgrades you know do you have air conditioning do you have heating so is there a perfect place now, I honestly think that I it, the heat is a problem. The heat is definitely an issue. You need air conditioning. But I really, in the places I've lived and done woodworking, I used to live in San Diego and did woodworking there and now here. I far and away prefer to work in a dry environment, than a somewhat, you know, maybe certainly more humid year round, but also a little more unpredictable in the San Diego area. And I, I Heck, I, love. I prefer to live in a
0: drier environment. Forget about yeah. working.
2: <laughs> I prefer to live there. Overall, <laughs> comfort matters, right? So, from a woodworking perspective, Shannon, what would you say the benefits might be to to be in a year round more arid climate versus Baltimore, <laughs> uh, minus the well, riots? So. Well, I mean,
0: certainly. <laughs> <laughs> the, the rust is is crazy because uh, I don't I don't have an air conditioner. I have an air conditioner unit in my shop window now, but it's one of those things. In the middle of summer, <clears throat> if I turn on the AC and then I open the garage door, immediately I've got a thin layer of rust on every ferrous surface in the shop Yeesh. because that humidity just rushes in and it condensates all over everywhere, um, and it's just it's terrible. But the the other aspect is this time of year before it gets really really hot and really humid i absolutely love to work with the door open Mm -hmm. with all that daylight streaming in and the fresh air and everything it's it's fantastic that's truly my my happy place you know when you can be in the shop you've got the radio on you've got the fresh air and everything it's just fantastic so if i were to make that choice i would choose a climate that i could do that a lot and you know growing up in colorado i know very well what it's like to live in a very dry climate you know and it's Whatever. It gets hot, you know, a couple of times during the summer. It'll get up in the upper 90s, but it's 70 in the shade. You know, there's right. something to be said about that. Sure. And certainly when it's arid like that all the time, from a wood movement perspective, you've got a, a much more predictable uh, situation with, with how to build things. Yeah. Especially if your clientele is local as well. It's right. just not
1: as big of an issue.
2: Well, see, and that's a big factor. If your clientele is not local then, like, for me, if I ship anything anywhere else, there's going to be problems.
1: That was exactly what I was thinking, yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah, cause it, yeah if, if you're in that area, arid, as long as it's somebody's, you know, right next door to you, you're, you know, selling it to them, yeah, no big deal. But, yeah, say, like, you uh, ship your project there, Mark, over to Tom down in Florida. Oy, yeah, good imagine? luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: but, but that's just it, is you're sitting, Mark, you're sitting at one of the extremes, one of the ends of that spectrum. Yeah. So you know what's going to happen. So, yes, it's going to move, but predictably you know which way it's going to move
2: yes and no though there are situations though because a good example moving from san diego to here things dried out and again that's a predictable pattern you just expect things to shrink the problem is when you have extreme movement issues it's not necessarily just shrinkage and standard you know lateral movement it's twisting that can occur. Mm -hmm. And I had a, a tool cabinet that was made with this nice purple heart frame and a plywood panel. In the middle is a half inch plywood panel. And I don't know what happened, but something when it came from California to Arizona, as it dried, it didn't just create a loose panel. The panel warped like crazy. And I never saw a twist so bad on a door frame. You know, so if the wood has any potential for just awkward movement to happen and you go to an extreme, you could just have things twisting and drawers not fitting not just because it's swollen, but because you've actually had boards wanting to like twist out of their original, you know, orientation. Um so it's still it's still very scary to have those extremes and that's why I gotta, it, I got to believe
0: that there's some sort of measures that can be taken because I know a lot of <clears throat> a lot of well, just think about woodworking companies that ship stuff all over the place. Yeah you know, I often big, wonder big about companies. that
2: like how, with solid wood furniture, what yeah. is it that they do to make their stuff more stable than the few things that I've done that have been unstable? Well, and
0: I think it's David Marks. Um, it's always David Marks. One of those but, guys yeah, out in, in <laughs> California had a lot of customers in Hawaii. Yeah. Um, and if I remember correctly, I think Chuck Bender had a couple of good customers in Hawaii, but I, regardless of it was Hawaii or not, and I know Chuck sent a lot of furniture across the country to his customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know this is fine furniture, and somehow they, they deal with it. You know, so yeah. somebody must have figured out something. Is that you build it and then put it in your air conditioned house for <laughs> right? You know, Three weeks before you ship it, so that it kind of settles down because air conditioner to air conditioner should be somewhat similar, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Or well, maybe it's just send a big long disclaimer.
2: <laughs> Sign here. There would totally be a move. There would totally be a disclaimer if I were shipping something to extreme change like that. But most furniture parts are locked in to some place by multiple pieces of the furniture itself. Um, but a free, you know, freestanding door, you know, that if there's potential for movement, then, you know, that may be where you're going to see it but all right so climate uh let's see what else we have so shipping to other regions talked about that uh how about lumber availability and and shannon I'll be interested you probably have the best perspective yeah. on this um that's that's a big one like re- I used regionally to never think about this well regionally if you are in a place that has trees are you <laughs> right. are you guaranteed to have a better selection of lumber no absolutely not
0: um what? in fact you find like, I I talked to a lot of guys up in British Columbia who are like, I can't get Doug Fur ever. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's funny. That's where I buy all my Doug Fur.
2: It's in your
1: backyard. <laughs> and that's <laughs> why I can't get it.
0: <laughs> right. And didn't wasn't it you, Matt, that said you had trouble getting maple sometimes? Uh, the, yeah. <laughs> Actually, we do this have beautiful peaceful. maple in the upper peninsula of Michigan and yet it all gets shipped somewhere else. Exactly. Yeah. I, I know, used to never think about this. I'm frankly blessed living where I live when it comes to lumber. I've got Hearn hardwoods 30 minutes north of me I've got Groff and Groff down the street uh, Free State Timber what 20 minutes away of course there's this Jacobs Gibson McIlvain place where I work that's 20 minutes away you know th- there are two exotic lumbers you know there's great lumber yards what probably eight of them within an hour drive of me I mean that's, that's fantastic and but then I started talking to people all around the country, and it's like there's this ban in the Midwest. It's like three hours is the minimum drive to get to a decent lumberyard. Mm-hmm. It's like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, that's, that's a tank of gas, you know, 50 bucks and whatever. And, and there are a lot of places – when I taught down in Texas, I was talking to the students about that. And, you know, that basically we have one place we can go, and it's terrible. You know, the guys are rude, and they have terrible selection, so we just do everything online. It's like wow! (laughs) I haven't thought about that. Yeah, you know, and I bought a fair amount of lumber online, and it works just fine. But I don't think I could deal with it if I didn't have a place that I could go when I realized that I screwed up that piece or I shorted myself on something and need just that one extra piece. That would be tough to deal with. You know, I think that's got to come into play.
2: Well, interestingly enough, here in the desert, clearly nothing grows here. I have no (laughs) problem getting just about anything I need. Uh, well I thought you were gonna build something out of that cactus wood.
1: Oh yes. wait, no, sorry, that's 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 a cooking show. Never mind. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got a couple of places that have really good domestics and you know, just kind of like your mahoganies, your basic exotics that uh, a lot of um uh commercial people will be using. Um so we've got a number of places I can get that stuff from and good quality hardwood plywood. And then I have uh, maybe two or three places for exotics. That's a little bit limited, but you'll find that's fairly limited in a lot of places. There's not often places that specialize in exotics. Um, So I pretty much have everything I need and I'm in the middle of nowhere uh, because everything comes from somewhere else. You know, so that it's definitely something to look into though, before you move, do a couple of searches, go into some forums and see what people are saying, where they all get their lumber from. Is it a good place? Are there more than one, you know, is there more than one choice? Because maybe they're jerks at one place, like you were saying, (laughs) you know, definitely got to consider that. Uh, And, and it's one of those things that it shouldn't
0: be a deal breaker because if you know that, if you know that uh, availability is going to be scarce, then what you need to do is is budget and plan for buying more in bulk. Yeah, you right. know, If you can buy at the wholesale level and you've got the space with which to store it, um, then pretty much anybody will talk to you. I mean I know personally we ship nationwide. We've got trucks going to Florida and Chicago and Maine and California like once a week. So, it's just a matter of okay, I know that I'm gonna probably have to order five hundred to a thousand maybe two thousand board feet um what's so
2: what's the lower end of a uh, big order like that? Most people would say five hundred board feet okay Right. Um, okay you know if that's a lot. if you order i mean you're, <laughs> yeah. it's a lot for but, for, for like we're know, we're thinking like a one man shop that's a lot of wood,
0: but if you factor in you know most pieces of furniture, you're going to be pushing 100, 100, I mean, typical pieces of furniture, you're going to be pushing 100 board feet when you factor in the 20% overage. So, you know, if you're building eight pieces a year, um, you might be surprised how quickly you run through it. And, and we do business with a lot of one man, two man type cabinet shops and mm-hmm. cabinet makers. Um, and they order on a regular basis, 2000 board feet of lumber, like yeah. twice a year. So um, you'd be surprised how much you might actually go through and how that would change how you build when, like, (laughs) I've already ordered the lumber, so now I've got to make it work with what I have on hand. Sure.
1: Well, you know, I have a a one-man operation near me, and uh, anybody in the area probably is familiar with him. Uh, This guy actually – I don't know how many projects he builds a year, but typically he does buy in in really big bulk, and he has a pretty decent sized shop. Uh, and he also has a little a storage area off, kind of like a, a little bit of a barn area. And typically, what he does is, I think he to try and get that big discount, he buys in bulk, and then what he doesn't use, he sells to other woodworkers in the area. You know, recreational woodworkers. Uh, it's a little bit more expensive for the recreational woodworker to go there and pick it up, but it seems to help him out to. Get a much better price on his wood, and on top of it, you know, I can go there and get some too without having to travel too far.
0: Sure. Well, and you can take that one step further and do a cooperative buy. Um, yes. If you, you know, Mark, I know you've talked about this on a number of occasions, mm-hmm. kind of reaching out to the other woodworkers, other professionals in the area, and sharing work and and you know corroborating a lot of things. You can do the same thing with your buying. Um, and I've got. Uh, a couple of makers up in Pennsylvania that often will buy, you know, 5,000 board feet, but it's going to eight different guys, you know, and what we do is we send a truck up and it drops it at one place and then they deal with it from there. So that's another good way to do it. And, you know, the, these days, the price breaks are not as big as they probably used to be just because there's so much more um, overhead these days than there was before. And, you know, you may say, okay, I'm buying a thousand board feet, but if you're buying eight species, 1,000 board feet, that's still a lot of pulling of lumber. Mm-hmm. There's yeah. still a lot that goes into preparing that order, so you'll find that unless you're buying a 1,000 board feet of one species, you probably won't find the price break to be that big of a deal. Um, but most lumber companies will unload the truck for you, too, Matt, <laughs> yeah. so you don't, have well, to, yeah. you don't have to worry about the kindness of the, the truck driver lady to help you unload it.
1: Well, it's funny you say that, because we do the one, uh, other than Bell Forest, there's another uh, lumber baron I guess the lumber mill in in Michigan that it's uh, more centered towards the southern middle of the mitten and uh, they have a set schedule through the week where we will be in this region on Monday, we'll be in this region on Tuesday and you can get your, your lumber load all set up based on what day it is and you can count on them like clockwork. Most of the time, except that one time that I did need them, apparently they sent the retired guy and he met uh, my wife who was like, I'm not unloading that. You unload it. (laughs) What about these hands say that I'm going to unload lumber?
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, so then the collaboration in a purchase brings us right into um, the next part I wanted to talk about, and that's competition slash collaboration. And I, I think those go together. Because if you have competition in an area and other woodworkers who are competing for the same business, you actually have potential for collaboration there. And that Mm -hmm. was something that, honestly, when I was so close to folding and not able to make enough money to survive with my woodworking business, it was collaboration uh, with people who you might normally think of as my competition. The collaboration is what saved me. We were able to do projects together that neither one of us could do apart We could share tools. We could share shop spaces. We could both be working toward a common goal and getting things done. And then there's the on-site aspect of delivery and installation that you can do if you are collaborating. Uh, There were times where I would be asked to do something that I knew I wasn't very good at and I might pass that on to a friend. And then you do that once for someone, chances are they're going to do it for you too if they know what your specialties are. So definitely look into the competitive scene and consider that some people may not necessarily see you as friendly, you know, but uh, depending on the the mood of these people, they could be great collaborators who could help your business survive um, right. just by joining forces like that. And,
0: you know, I've heard this this same scenario probably 20 different times. And not once has somebody said, Oh, it was terrible. Like I, I couldn't get any business because this guy down the street was taking all my business. Everyone says the same thing you do, Mark. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, I, I think that sure there's not a huge market for really expensive, you know, custom made furniture, but there's there's a there's a big market when you're when you're one guy. You know, it's rare that you're going to penetrate and completely saturate the market. There's always going to be stuff left over. Yeah. Um, And frankly, if there is a lot of competition, why is there a lot of competition? Probably because there's a big market. There's a lot of people buying. (laughs) You know, smoke, fire, that type of thing. So there's probably a good reason why there's six cabinet makers in that immediate area. And there's the other thing is um, the internet has changed that so dramatically. I mean, Mm -hmm. the certainly shipping to you know, Zimbabwe. Actually, that doesn't exist anymore, does it? Well, whatever.
1: Uh, when well, we to use Botswana. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Shipping to the other side of the world is not going to make sense, but shipping three states over, six states over to the opposite coast, I hear it happening all the time. I mean, I've got clients that, whose biggest customers live 2,000 miles away. So that's that's kind of changed thing and leveled the playing field a lot. So having that that kind of support group, if you will. I mean, I know when when Mark first posed this question to us as a topic – my initial thought was I'm gonna move wherever Mark moves because I know he's got a great shop, you know. And it's like,
2: can hey, borrow you your sand drum sander, you know. <laughs> I knew it. Sh- showing up in the middle of the afternoon with a board in hand, going, "Hey, are you busy?" <laughs> right. That would be my favorite thing for you to do. <laughs>
1: um, all right. Well, and, we, well, you know, actually, the, what yeah, i was ahead. gonna say is kind of building on this. I, I see this also uh, in in something that's going on right now in in the Grand Rapids area. Uh, for a group of friends that they kind of call themselves Middle West, and they have there's a couple of different furniture makers in there, one at a much different level than the other one, but they collaborate frequently on stuff. And I've seen this elsewhere. And one place for sure that when it comes to that whole collaboration thing is I see that with my wife and all of her photography friends and cohorts uh, throughout this area. And oftentimes what they'll do is it's it's the type of thing where perhaps you have a project going on right now where you, you just simply can't take it on. You can't take on another build, but you know this person over here builds a quality similar to what the person's asking for what you build Mm -hmm. so therefore i'll wash your back if you wash mine i'll help you out with this one uh and vice versa and even you might even know a startup who their prices are a little bit under what you would normally charge and maybe that's another opportunity for this person who's been really bugging you to uh build something for them well you know what i can't do it but this person definitely will
2: matt i am not washing your back I was gonna oh, say, is that a
0: Michigan thing? Because I usually watch other people's back. I've never thought about washing. Really? you not, not gonna no? Not it's, even it's, with
2: one of those mittens that I use to wash my son. Where what my, about my when we were is all in the, the hot tub
1: in Cincinnati? <laughs> well, maybe the heat <laughs> it gets in to me. Cincinnati stays in Cincinnati. Maybe we had a, a few too many drinks. Actually, so. you know what? I, I was using my uh, my Cockney accent that we were talking <laughs> about from the last episode, and yeah, it was I, I said, "Watch."
2: There you go. <laughs> Good deal. All right, so obviously we can't pick a place. I mean, I haven't been very many places in this country. Certainly not enough to say, oh yeah, here's the perfect place. Uh, But I thought just for fun, if you could pick a place, and this I think goes into where where you might want to live because ultimately where you're working um, is also where you live and where you live definitely impacts your overall happiness and general uh, mood toward making a successful business as well. So uh, just out of curiosity, Matt, if you could pick a place from your experience in this country, where would it be to uh, to start a woodworking business?
1: Oh, oh man, my experience! Uh, I haven't had a lot of experience. Don't choose in life. the
2: next town over in Michigan because that. That's oh,
1: that was actually. You know what? I, <laughs> I I I am totally, and this is probably because uh, Samantha was just there, and I was super super jealous about it. Um, Nashville, Nashville, Tennessee. In fact, I was looking at the humidity map of uh, the United States. And it looks like it's one that's very conducive to a lot of environments and it just has really awesome food.
2: They've got a great up and coming just culture of making and craft yes. there that I think that may be something to think about if someone was looking to target an area is like how many hipsters are there and yep. you mm-hmm. probably want to head in that direction. Yeah, <laughs> you, exactly. As long as you don't mind beards, you'll be fine.
1: Uh hmm, need mind beards. Let me yeah. think about You'll that. You'll fit one. right in, Matt. I mean, no <laughs> exactly. Problem.
2: But no, they have they've got some great things there. And because there are so many young people that are doing this, you again, that opportunity for collaboration, but there's also community places that you can go to get collaborative uh, things going on or use tools that you don't have. There are going to be more opportunities to get off the ground in a place yep. like that than, you know, some place that just doesn't have much of anything.
1: You know, actually, another one that I would think of just totally, this might be a backup. And I know my wife and I have actually joked around about doing this, even though our friends and family go, Are you insane? is Detroit. Detroit has so many up and coming things right are you now. With insane! Are you insane! <laughs> the artist communes there are amazing. Uh, you can literally buy like a uh, two or three Detroit city blocks for like a few hundred dollars. And uh, sure, there is a, a question about the personal safety and everything. But with as <laughs> they, much stuff that's going on there,
0: don't they? Aren't they the only place in the, the country that has a higher violent crime rate than Baltimore?
1: Is Detroit actually? Uh, you know what's really funny is it turns out that um, where my mother in law is located uh, in Saginaw, we re- read recently that the FBI statistics said that that's worse than Detroit. So, wow. Okay. Yeah, and she wonders why we never come to visit. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Does that's, it have to do with your mother in law or that too? Mm-hmm. I think okay. she
1: is the statistic. <laughs> yeah,
2: she's the cause of it. Uh, Shannon, what about you? Moran, Wyoming.
1: Okay. <laughs> Not to be Just super so that specific, could, but never even heard so of it. So we could mispronounce it and call it Moron. Moron, Wyoming. <laughs> it's uh well, part of the reason is you've
0: never heard of it. No, it's, it's sweet. A, it's a great, of course, I haven't been there in 10 years, so maybe it's totally different, but I've always been partial to Wyoming. Um, the Rocky Mountains is where my heart lies and Rocky Mountains off the beaten path, but I also know so, that Jackson Hole, Wyoming is close enough and there's a lot of very rich people in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Hmm. So there's probably a market there. But at the same time, I feel pretty good about the whole SEO thing and the whole positioning myself on the internet thing. What I said earlier about the internet leveling the playing field, I would want to live somewhere off the beaten path. I'd want to live out in the mountains and I'd be you know, real close to Grand Teton National Park Great fly fishing out there. Great mountain biking. Maybe I could find my mountain bike again. That would be the first thing. But no, just I would choose where I'd want to live more than anything else. Um, yeah. I think that the, the rest of it could come from
2: there. And focus your efforts online to drive business to you lo- on a local level.
0: Right. But you know, like I said, I think that there's a possibility. I mean, it's a, it's a big tourist area. I mean, you've got, uh, like I said, Grand Teton. You've also got Yellowstone. Right in that area. Jacksonville, Wyoming is a big touristy spot all year round skiing in the winter. So yeah. there's, there's a constant influx of people. Um, Moran is it, any number of places. Cody would be another good spot. But you're on a, at least, um, actually, if I remember correctly, Moran's in kind of an intersection in between a couple of national parks. So mm-hmm. it's a thoroughfare you know, that I think could draw some some business. But nice. like I said, I don't even really care. I just know that that would be a beautiful place to live.
2: Nice. Well, you know what? You'll never guess where I would go.
1: Um, is it someplace in Arizona?
2: No. Nowhere Tijuana, in Arizona. Mexico. Yeah, baby. <laughs> uh, no. I would go to Denver or the at least somewhere around Denver. I could see that. Okay. Uh, I could totally you know see what? That. It's basically like. Take Arizona, subtract twenty to twenty-five degrees all year long, and it's kind of the same thing. You know, (laughs) it's an arid climate for the most part. Colder, certainly colder winters, but fairly mild compared to other, like you know, super nasty places in the Northeast, uh, where like where I grew up. And uh, you know, the summers are really extremely mild. And I got to tell you, I'm kind of done with this whole heat thing here. I'm (laughs) I'm I'm over it, people. So uh, take take
0: your heat and and make it basically one week in the middle of July when yeah. it gets to about 104 in Denver and
2: for a couple of days and right. then it goes away but it cools down at night too I would imagine right oh totally right and that doesn't happen here like it's still 105 out at night in the middle of summer and that right. is stupid I heard it's a humid heat Right Um, So you know for me it sounds And it does sound like it's got a you know there's a decent culture Developed around the Denver area and it To me sounds like a cool place to live So that's where I would go It is I lived there for many years Okay well you have to tell me all about it later And I'll have to learn to love the Broncos I guess (laughs) Um, Alright well that just about does it And uh, Matt how about you give them the contact info And we'll let everybody get back to their weekend
1: all right, if we have to. Hey, if you have a comment, question, or topic suggestion, you have several different ways to contact us. Leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is WoodTalkOnline. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. At least that's the area code we can use right now until one of us moves and we take the number with us. <laughs> yeah. uh, email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com or leave us a comment on our WoodTalk Facebook page. And If you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at Wood. Talkshow.com.
2: Nice. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and go Broncos.
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> I think.
2: <laughs> All right. Catch you later. See ya. See
1: ya. Even when we're on a budget,
0: we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50